Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the mic, starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik. Today, it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Gene Guarino. Hi, Gene. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you kindly for uh, joining the podcast. Gene is a brother from the Collective Genius Mastermind. Uh, that group uh, is a, an old, old school and some great new talents come to, to the mastermind. I guess you just joined the group and uh, appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast. Absolutely. I've been wanting to be a part of it for a long time, but uh, schedules didn't permit, but now they do. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's all of us. I think busy people stay too busy, and it's hard to add yet another mastermind to our schedules. So, so Gene, could you tell the audience a little bit uh, about you? Where do you live? Uh, what family uh, do you have? And um, I know you're a specialist in... Uh, uh, converting residential properties to uh, assisted living. Mm -hmm. But let's start uh, by chatting a little bit about you. Who's Gene? Well, who's Gene? I've been uh, doing real estate since I was 18, and that was 40 years ago. So I've been doing real estate investing for a long time. First property was no money down because I had no money, no credit, no clue. And uh, that was 18 and made a lot of money and uh, did fix and flip after that, uh, small commercial uh, all the way up to today. And now I do just one thing, senior housing and doing it in a residential setting. Uh, it's something that I've been doing for six and a half years now. And I own and operate. And then I train others how to do that. And then others how to invest in that. That's very cool. Um, but where are you based? Where do, where do you live? That's right. You mentioned that. And I forgot to say it. I'm living in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been married for 34 years, four amazing kids, uh, two grandkids, all of the kids and my son-in-law and daughter-in-law and future son-in-law all work with us full-time. Uh, so it's a really a family-oriented business, family-run business, our group of companies, uh, but Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, that's great. That's nice and hot over there. And uh, it's great to have a family business. And um, I know how it is with a lot of kids. I have four of them too. So there you go. <laughs> it's great to hear. So let, let's chat a little bit about this business. Um, this. Um, uh, assisted living. Uh, so just let's just use a use case, something very simple. Uh, give me an example of what happens. You find a uh, house, uh, a big house, I assume, and you convert it. Well, yeah, that's kind of the, the simple version of it. The first thing, though, the key to this whole thing, Mike, is location, location, location. Because the people that live in the house and the assisted living, it's all about the demographics. So those people, the, the residents who are in the home, really that's not your customer. The customer is going to be the kids of. They're 50, 60. Their parents are 80 and 90. But it's those 50, 60-year-olds that have parents that are 80 and 90 years old who are going to make the decision on where they live and how much they're going to pay. So the demographics in the location are critical. But you're right. Generally, a bigger house, a single level is better than multi-level. More bathrooms, more bedrooms is better. And we typically take a house and then convert it uh, with some additional bathrooms or maybe make big bedrooms into smaller bedrooms. But the construction of it is the fun part. The business part is the really profitable part. 
Right, 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 right. So it's interesting how you described it. The customers are the children uh, who are in their 50s and 60s and the kids uh, make make the decisions. And the parents, I guess, they go in assisted living when they can't make it on their own. I assume that's that's the path of, of progression. They love them, but they can't take care of them themselves. Yeah. So they um, they find um, a good assisted living. Um, and nobody nobody moves into assisted living unless they need that assistance. And I think every one of us says, "Well, I'll take care of mom and dad myself." But when push comes to shove. The idea of staying home all day instead of going to work or paying attention to their own kids, it can get problematic. So this is the solution. You know? Yeah, I hear you. What's a typical cost of an assisted living, um, I guess, when they, when they rent a room or they rent a bed, I assume, with, with all the services? What's a typical monthly cost? Yeah, in the U.S. today, according to Genworth.com, it's, in a, it's a long-term care insurance company. It's currently $4,051 per person per month. For a that's, private room and assisted living. That's an average. Yep. Yeah, I've heard some of the higher numbers on that. It's sort of a, um, I guess it's, it's an average between many markets. Uh, I've heard yeah. the numbers go higher. Yeah, uh, keep, keep in mind, that's an average which includes Medicare, Medicaid, all the way through private pay, long-term care insurance. So I personally, and I don't teach my students, we don't focus on Medicare and Medicaid. So the sweet spot is four to $8,000. People pay more than that, but sweet spot is four to eight thousand. And that's a very significant uh, monthly outlay. Um, are most people able to afford it without some kind of insurance, or is it uh, really folks who build a net worth of you know a few million bucks and then they, they they're going to leave good amount of it to kids, but they they start spending forty eight thousand a month. You know, it's a significant expenditure. Yeah, the reality is I don't think most people have a clue what it costs. And when they're in that situation, they just suck it up and do what they need to do. Less than 10% of the people listening right now have a long-term care insurance policy. If they did, it would be paid for, but most don't. I always tell people you're going to get involved in this one way or the other. Either own the real estate, the business, or you're going to lie in a bed writing a check to somebody who does. So Long-term care insurance is a solution. Most people don't have it. Most people are not prepared to pay six or $8,000 a month, but it comes from mom and dad's home, their pension, their social security, the liquidation of their assets. Once that runs out, then it's into the kids who are 50, 60. It's their retirement plan, their future, their kids' college. So if you're not prepared, it can be a tough, tough situation. And if you don't have the money at all, then you're going to rely on the government and they typically reimbursed to about $2,000 a month, which is half the average uh, in the country. So you're in a much lower end environment, uh, maybe maybe not as good care and certainly not as good of a home. Yeah, yeah I hear you. It, it makes a lot of sense. Now let's look at the business side of, the, uh, of investing into these type of uh, uh, senior living facilities. So what's the um, uh, operating cost, where is the break-even point? So if you have a 10-bed facility, and I, I don't know what are the laws in Arizona, but I heard a number of folks, they, they run them from anywhere from 6 to 16 beds, depending on where they are in the country. But mm-hmm. What's typical? Is it around 10 beds? Well, again, I own and operate in Arizona, but our training, we teach people literally all over the country and even internationally. So you're exactly right. Six beds on the small end, 16 beds on the top end. You can go bigger than that. Most of the, about 20 states currently have no limit. So, but realistically, 16, uh, I'm going to tell you that the cities themselves will typically have a 
a limit of about, it takes about 150 uh, square feet per person. That's what the state minimum would be for not a bedroom, but for living space. Uh, the REL Academy, what we do is we say 300 square feet. So it's a 2,500 to 3,500 square foot house. You could easily have 10 or 12 people. And I always use 10 people as kind of the average. Uh, and then the math from there, you know, I love your questions, by the way, because you're right to the point, the idea of what's the break-even point. So let's just use average average, 4,000 per person and 10 beds. That's potential gross income of 40,000 a month. You're not always full, so that's part of the equation. Your expenses, and I don't want anybody listening to be thinking they're the manager or they're the caregiver or they're doing any of that hands-on work. You own the business, you're the manager. So you're going to pay a manager. They're going to be caregivers that are there. But all those expenses, when it really comes down to it, after all expenses are included, you should net 20 to 30% of the gross income. So if you're 40000 on the top end, you know, 20% of that is 8000 30% is 12000 call it 10 so on that average home, it should net you after all expenses, including real estate, caregivers, food, insurance, everything, that 10000 a month. That's very insightful. Um, so it puts a break-even point around 70% occupancy. Is that right? Yeah, and in the reality, when you're running the business, when you're at 60%, you're, you're at break-even. Everything after that is pure profit. Don't plan on getting the 100%. Always go for 100% occupancy, but you know 90% would be a good, well-run business. So that 30% is your margin between 60% occupancy and 90% occupancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it makes sense. And this business is as much uh, operating business as it is real estate. Um, there's certainly a strong real estate component, but the, the value of the asset really depends on the operation. If you're running well, uh, you're generating good income. If you're not running well, this thing is not worth whole, you know, it's still worth some money, but it's, it's a lot less. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I really want to make sure that people are listening to this because, you know, you and I as members of CG, most of the people there are focused on a transaction. So it's real estate based. They buy low, sell higher, control it and sell control. Uh, but what we do is something very, very different. The real estate is important, but actually it's not that important. The location of the real estate, what I paid for it, all of those things are the details. The location is key. The business is where the money's made. And um, whether you own the real estate or lease it, uh, it doesn't matter. The real estate is an asset that goes up and down in value. It's the business that is producing the cash flow. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I, I happen to agree with you. This is uh, an operating business and you got to be a specialist in your living, in the marketing of attracting uh, ten tenants or, or clients and Certainly, probably economy of scale kicks in. Uh, operating one is, you know, is hard. When operating two, three, four probably has some economy of scale. So exactly. it, it, it's not something you should try to buy one. It's if you don't have economy of scale, this this the overhead might might squeeze your profits. Yeah, and you know, we teach what's called a three pack: the concept of three homes within twenty minutes of each other. For exactly what you just said, very insightful. The managers can be shared, caregivers can be shared, economies of scale. But the real estate play on this is really compelling as well because there's a lot of bigger homes that don't cash flow as rentals. You may not even want to buy them and fix them and flip them. But when I say bigger, I mean four, five, six thousand square foot homes that you really can't cash flow. But if you were to buy them and rent it to an operator of the residential assisted living at twice the market rent with a five-year lease, now it becomes a very compelling real estate investment. 
Yeah, that's actually a great point. Uh, certainly, you need to find the right operator, and uh, then it's a question for them: Why would they want to rent your home at double the price unless it's it's been set up for for that kind of facility? So, uh, it's it's a combination of real estate and and I guess uh, business and planning for that. But I I, I totally hear you. Uh, so um, let's switch a little bit about your educational program. So. Uh, you obviously know the business, the other part of your uh, business, you run seminars. Uh, it, it just it, talk a little mm -hmm. bit about um, that, that, that part of your business. You educate folks how to invest, you know, sure. buying three houses and what else? Just, just curious to hear. Uh, yeah. From the educational side, you know, it all started, by the way, with me needing help for mom. And that's when I realized there's a real big need. I vowed to create a solution in a residential setting because we didn't want to move her into a converted hotel or hospital. So that's where it all came from for me. Once I realized that uh, there's nobody to teach me how, show me how I did it. Others asked me immediately, can you show me how? I'm kind of a teacher by nature. So a small group of seven or 10 people on the first classes has now turned into eight trainings a year with 80 people in a class from all over the country, all over the world. And we have a class coming up this weekend, as a matter of fact. But those classes themselves teach you the business side, not to be a caregiver, not to be a manager, but how to find the right location, fund this thing, market it, fill it, and so on. And whether you're the real estate investor or the business owner or both, we'll show you how to play that game. But again, it's not a hands-on operational class. So I'm not a manager. I'm not a caregiver. I'm a business owner, own and operate, and then I invest in these. But the training is wonderful because we have people from all over the country. Some of them have been in real estate for decades and we've had hedge fund managers and bankers. We've had doctors and nurses. We've had people first time, never done anything before. And all of them can be successful in this. It doesn't take 10 years to learn how in less than a year, somebody can get up and running and have enough cash flow from just one home to be financially set. So doing two or three, easy. And then we have people that are scaling this bigger, Mike, where their goal is to do 100 homes, 200 homes, package it and then sell it to the hedge funds who are hungry for this, but they're not going to do it one home at a time. They want 100 homes so they can write a big check for hundreds of millions. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a, it's a game of specialization to the nth degree. Yeah, you obviously got to figure out marketing in a big way because uh, I don't know, what's the average... Um, time a given customer stays in, in, in a home. I mean, I mean this with all due respect. Well, they probably leave when they, you know, they, 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 they pass on. Yeah, it's kind of like the Hotel California, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of jokes like this. They're dying to get in. But anyway, the point is, no, nobody moves into assisted living with the expectation of, I'm going to get better and go home. This is their last stop. And they're there. Uh, statistically, the average person who, who ages needs help with their activities of daily living for an average of three and a half years. doesn't mean they're going to live in your home for three and a half years, but it could be a few months. It could be a decade. Uh, I literally have had somebody in a home for a decade now. They were there before I got there, and they're still there now and probably be there for years. Uh, I think average is a couple of years, let's say two years, but here's the secret, kind of a pro tip. The more they pay, the longer they stay. And what I mean by that is if somebody really can't afford uh, the help they need, they're going to stay at home as long as they can. Their family is going to take care of them right to the bitter end. And then they finally have to move them into a home. All they can afford is $2,500 and they move in and they're gone in six months or a year. 
But if somebody has an unlimited budget, now they get a little cough and they're like, well, it looks like you need some help. Let's move. Let's check on some assisted living and money's not an issue. And they're moving into the master bedroom for $12,000 a month and they're there for years and years. So the more they pay, the longer they stay. That's an interesting observation. Uh, it's they're, they're paying, I guess, that instead of paying a hotel 400 bucks a night, they're paying 400 bucks a night for assisted living. <laughs> so Yeah. You know, actually, they could live on a cruise ship cheaper and have better shows. But, uh, you know, this is real. This is happening and millions of people will be needing this. What's great about this business, too, is the future. It's not just today. Today is great. But the baby boomers are not in assisted living. They're 10 years away. So you look at a chart and it's like a silver tsunami of seniors coming your way. They're 10 years away and then it just continues to climb for another 20 years. So it's a great business. I, I certainly hear you that the um, demand for, for, for this business uh, is strong and growing. How, how do you compare to the senior living uh, bigger facility, the Class A facility? The reality is that what I'm going to call, I guess the big box. They don't like it when I do the Brookdales, the Sunrise, the Atria. The big box facility is eye candy for you and I. It's eye candy because we look at it and say, oh, mom is going to love that sewing room. She's going to love that movie theater. She's going to love playing bridge with 200 people. No, the reality is mom wants to be in her own home, right? She wants to be quiet in an environment she knows. She wants companionship and community, but not everybody wants to live in a hotel. So it's eye candy for the kids. And there's some gorgeous places out there. They're called CCRCs, Continuous Care Retirement Community where people will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to move in, to move in fee. Independent living, don't need any help, might be three grand a month. Once you need help, assisted living, it might be five grand a month. If you need skilled nursing, now it's eight grand a month, but it's continuous care so they can move in and know that they're taken care of for the rest of their life. So in comparison, you believe that most people would prefer living in a home environment versus a um a larger class A facility because I've seen directions in both and I've spoken with folks who do, who do what you do, invested in this sector and folks who, um, it, it's funny, people who are into the institutional level facilities, they claim that those uh, provide much better return on capital versus the, uh, and then they, they have much, much bigger demand and folks who, that do what you do claim that uh, the reverse, and it's hard to say. Every, every party finds their own data. It's like, you know, politics now, depending who you, <laughs> what what station you listen to, yeah. the, the truth is uh, it has different flavors. So well, I think that's exactly right. I'm, first of all, I want to make sure we're clear. I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just what is the difference? One is big, one is small. One is a home, one is trying to be home-like. A big, two big differences. One, when you move into a big box, they're going to give you a price. The price is kind of the base rate. Then there's a menu, literally a menu of options that are on top of that. Does mom want to eat? Does mom want to do this? Does mom need help moving from the bedroom to the dining room? Each one of those adds up. And many times the extras each month equal the base rate or more. People don't like that. They want one fee, which is what we charge. The other piece is the ratio of caregivers to the residents. We do five to one they will do 15, 20, 30 to one during the day. And then at night they might have two caregivers for 150 people. Yeah, it's the economy of scale. It's a very different environment. And certainly um, the home feels cozier as long as um, they like it. And also depends on, on the type of market. 
I live in New York City. Uh, you don't see too many uh, houses here where seniors live. It's just either yeah, big facilities or people move to Florida. So, yes. Uh, you're it's, kind of required to move to Florida if you're from New York. You turn 65 and you got to go down to Florida. Yeah, uh, that's, that's certainly uh, the demographic trend. Uh, anyway, let's talk a little bit about the business. So if you invest into this, what kind of returns folks can expect? Uh, obviously, there's a degree of learning involved and a degree of involvement, not taking care of the patients, but managing the managers. Uh, it's more, you know, it's not pure passive business, it's semi-active. Mm -hmm. Typically, uh, to get the 10000 bucks a month cash flow, what kind of capital investment is required and what kind of time investment is required? So let me answer it in, in both ways. One is that the, the lower your activity or involvement, the lower your rate of return. So if you just want to own the real estate and lease it to the operator, you can get twice the market rent and have a nice cash flow on the real estate that couldn't cash flow otherwise. If you want to be even less involved, you can just write a check, be a private lender or investor and just make a flat rate of return uh, and be very hands off. You don't even care where the property is. Somebody else is managing it. But the way you asked it was, you know, how do, if I want to get that 10,000 a month, how much money is required up front? How much effort along the way? And Assuming active. Yeah. So assume at the moment it's an active participation. So I consider myself passive, yet I'm the owner. I operate. Uh, I maybe spend five hours a week, uh, maybe 10 hours a week if I physically go to the properties, which I rarely do. Uh, why, why so little time? Because I have a manager who takes care of things. They have the caregivers underneath them and so on. I just need to see the payroll uh, every other week and make sure to review that 30 minutes. Uh, answer a few questions along the way. But my job, just like you said, is to manage the manager. Now, I'm very hands-off. Now, I realize there's a lot of people in this business that are much more hands-on. I don't encourage that. If you want to do that, that's great. I don't want a job. I'm a business owner. My job is to oversee and manage the manager, give them the resources to be successful. So I've really set myself up that way. That's the, what I teach, the method of your involvement level. But I think a lot of people listening to you right now, they want to be even less active than that. So maybe they invest money into you asked how much money does it take to get up and running? It depends, of course, on the real estate. There's some homes I've walked in that you'd have to do very little in the way of renovation, construction, repair, anything. It could be, it's as if it was designed for it. And there's other homes you walk in and it's hundreds of thousands of dollars of rehab or expansion. So that's a big depends. Uh, there's seven different ways to fund it, but it is a residential home in a residential setting. The big part that people miss on a business standpoint is undercapitalization. And I've been doing business for 40 plus years and I'm a certified financial planner. And uh, people don't understand that day one, you open a business, you're not profitable. You're losing money day one. And where do you get to break even? So that's where the bleeding stops. How deep was that hole? You got to have that reserve at the beginning. So now you get out of that hole back to break even back to maximum profitability so you need to know what that flow is. And it could take you six months to get through that cycle or 12 months. You need to know how long and what to expect and where that money is going to come from to make it there. So that's a great point. Um, continuing the train of thought, um, this is not easy. I mean, uh, I'm not uh, – so at least this is, this is my observation. It's a game of specialization. A lot of folks might want to just invest passively rather than trying to learn the business because – just like you mentioned, uh, and we invest in all kinds of real estate assets, including you know 
give you examples for storage facility. The comparison is similar. You build a facility and it takes many months, many, many, maybe 18 to 24 months to get to a break-even point. Uh, in your business, it's probably faster, but you got to do heavy marketing. You got to do you know, involvement, provide services. Certainly, it's an operating business. So the question is, are there passive investment options for folks who uh, just want to get a return? Are you running a fund? Is there a platform where people could invest with capable operators? Just, just curious if there's any, any option like that. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I have a group of companies who call it the AL family, assisted living family. And one of the companies within that is called Family Legacy Homes. And that is an opportunity for people to invest in these kind of projects. So students that we have that have come through our training, they may need to raise capital. They can go to a bank, SBA, private lending, syndication. If they do something with, let's say, a syndication, and now there's an opportunity for others to invest, those are the kind of opportunities that would be available. So whether it's one of my students or somebody else, uh, that would be what you're looking for. And the key to that, and you said this about 20 minutes ago, Mike, is the operator, finding a good operator. That's really the key to this besides the location. Uh, you need a great operator who knows what they're doing and has a team supporting them so they can do it successfully. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, as a fund manager, make investment decisions, and that's the first step number one. That's the rule. You know, that's the number most important step is to find capable, successful, high-integrity, experienced operator in any real estate business because it's a bit, everything is a business. Uh, even you know, most of the passive projects, because um, if unless you invest into completely uh, completed product, again, this is not completed product. This is a business. But real estate, you can buy multifamily business, fully functional. Just call it the core asset. That's a generally passive investment. But if you have any value add or, or any other um, improvements, it's all work. It's just the, the people who execute it make all the difference in the success or failure of the project. So that's good to hear that, that you provide a platform for passive folks. Uh, my guess would be that folks that come to your um, academy, uh, and I, I've gone to many academies, uh, and I, I've seen this picture again and again and again, 3 to 5%, I don't know if that ratio is even uh, uh, low enough, but fairly small percentage can actually do something or will actually do something. The rest come out and best case scenario, they'll write a check and they want to be passive because they, it's too hard. So I don't know, what, what kind of success ratio do you see? How many people, every hundred people come to your events? How many people actually succeed with this and how many people will end up just investing money? You know, it's really interesting the way you, you said that because you started by saying are successful and then you change it to could be successful. And I think that's the key. I'm, I'm one of those guys who says anybody can do anything. It's up to you to be committed enough to make it happen and don't quit. If you quit, you fail. You know, either you do or you don't, but there's no try. So realistically, it's the 80-20 rule. 80% of the people say they're going to do something. Only 20% of them do something. Out of that 20%, 80-20. 80% 80 you know, foot in the door of the other 20%. So we're back down to your 4%. Right. And when we say success to me, somebody, it rarely happens, but when it does, I'm tickled pink. They come to the class and they say, you know what? This isn't for me. Perfect. I'd rather you learn that with a few days and a few dollars than three years of your life committed to something you didn't want anyway. So to me, that's success. To somebody else, they could say, well, that's not success. We've had some people come through and do one home and they call it success. And others, if they did one home, they'd shoot themselves saying, that was a failure. You know, because I, I want 10 of these or 110 of these. 
Nobody has to report back to us what they did, but we just had a national convention two weeks ago with 650 people uh, from all over the country, and people kept coming up to me saying, thank you for your home study course or the training that I went to, and I've got a home, I got four homes, I got, I'm like, why didn't you tell me? We got a whole national association, I want to put you on the map, but I can't make them tell me, we asked them. So it's hard for me to really know how many homes our goal, and we set this goal a year and a half ago, is to create a 1,000 homes in a 1,000 days. We're definitely going to hit that. That'll be by the end of next year, a 1,000 homes across the country. Our big goal is to be a part of the training, education, owning, operating of 10,000 homes in the next 10 years. And that's our big BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal that we will hit as well. No, that's great to hear. It's very ambitious goals. And uh, <laughs> I certainly know about the BHAGs from the days of the software development we, we had the we use the term not many people you know the term but i i, I do uh, know the term and uh, uh it sounds funny so the heck is uh <laughs> what kind of animal is that <laughs> I, I, was, I was just looking at somebody's phone the other night thinking you're holding in your hand a camera a video camera a recorder a telephone a internet access to the world's it's all in the palm of your hand for a thousand bucks who would have ever thought Somebody like you can appreciate where we've been, and but amazing. Yeah, I mean that that is a, a miracle of technology. It accelerates and continues to accelerate, and it all never. I don't think it'll ever stop. It's back to the Moore's law, and if you know that, and yeah. uh, anyway, and I greatly appreciate your wisdom. Uh, it's a phenomenal um, sharing. I, I, could you kindly tell us how would folks get a hold of you if they wanted to? Uh, reach out and go to your academy and learn or invest in the business? What's the best way to, uh, to follow up? What's Got the website? It, you, yeah, I'll give you a real simple website. And actually, on that website, if you go there, you'll have an option to download a free copy of my book, which is the Insider's Guide to Investing in Senior Housing. So the website's real simple, ral101.com residentialassistedliving101.com, ral101.com. Go there. There's the free download of the book. There's webinars you can watch, and there's a phone number you can call to ask questions from a real human being. <laughs> That's great. Uh, appreciate your sharing. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, we got to chat so, uh, offline a little bit, and uh, I, I do want to learn a little bit more about this sector. Uh, although I've been, put it this way, a little bit discouraged with some, um, how should I put it? Uh, I know people have gone into this, and uh, some have had success, some have had ch challenges, and it's, I guess it's really in the operator. Um, most mm -hmm. people think they can go into this passively, and you, you, you said you can't. This is an active business, even though you're passive, but you're still managing the managers. It's not all just throw the money at this, and it'll just work. So that's, I think... That's a misconception, and, and uh, certainly actively, once you get the expertise and get things rolling, and you have more than one facility, economy of scale kicks in, this could be a very successful um, type of investment. So, Well, it's well, well worth it. And I, I, I think, you know, what you just mentioned, it reminds me of somebody watches a 28-minute TV show on HGTV and says, well, I can flip a house. Yeah, and you can lose money, too, and spend six or eight or 12 months doing it. So... You need to know what you're doing, learn all you can before you do, but you're going to get involved in this one no matter what. You may as well be in the right place at the right time. That's the truth. Thank you, Jim, kindly. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's Slot in.
Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.